Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3EQUIP.com. A3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion, a lip balm, a hair conditioner, honestly, anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3equip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about get squared away spiritual get squared away emotional get squared away mental Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right. We're here with uh, episode 59. We're here with Mitch Hall, Coach Mitch Hall, I guess, right? I still go by that. I'll still take go, that. Still go by that. Mitch, why don't you, I mean, why don't you give our listeners uh, kind of a brief history, I guess, brief. How old are you, Mitch? Uh, I just qualified for you guys now paying me every day, you know, as a senior <laughs> oh, really? citizen at 65. Yeah. So, so I guess a little bit more than brief history, I guess yeah. I will say how I met Mitch first. Mitch goes to the same gym we do and Mitch at, well, 64 has been two, two years ago. So at 62 would have been in the gym doing window wipers, hanging from the pull-up bar, doing window wipers at 62. And I'm like, who is this animal? And then I just started talking to Mitch and figured out that we have a lot in common. And and Mitch has an amazing history. So go ahead, Mitch. Oh, amazing. I don't know. But I, I grew up just south of Madison here in Evansville. My dad had a uh, uh, we we're a small town butcher shop and worked at that place till I uh, graduated college. Uh, I... 
you know, played like everybody in small towns, played three sports. I, I uh, played football, wrestled and ran track. I went to college for a couple of years to Kansas State to play football before I decided to come back to uh, the University of Wisconsin and wrestle here. Uh, and so I wrestled for three years, won a couple of Big Tens and a two-time All-American and had the uh, 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 opportunity to wrestle for the United States in, in four world championships and finished in 1984 my career like most people finished their sport career with a loss. I finished second in the uh, the Olympic trials to Ed Bannock, who won the gold medal. And second place gets you a handshake is what that does. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is uh, I've, I look back and say, if I knew the result, I'd do it all over again. It's the journey is what really was yeah. the great part of it. And then uh, coached at Wisconsin for four years as assistant, went to Purdue University, was a head coach there for a couple of years before I went out to uh, USA Wrestling in Colorado Springs, worked with the Olympic uh, uh the Olympic governing body and the Olympic committee for six Olympic games uh, before I came back to uh, Wisconsin here and now working with uh, 3D, uh, 3D Institute with three-dimensional coaching. Well, plus you got to add, I mean, your, your son's a beast too. So and you've trained him up, right? Well, he's gotten a little bigger than I am at 6'6", 250. <laughs> and at the- Good Lord. Bino Rhino, his name is. Yeah, Bino Rhino, it was- but he's uh, I've I never lost to him in wrestling. I, but that's really? the, oh yeah because the last match when I got lucky to win it was the last match. Yep, he just stopped. <laughs> oh, yeah, that oh, was it. Okay, I was smart. <laughs> I, I control that part. Yeah, so oh, okay. I can say he never beat me. That doesn't mean much. Yeah, know? okay. Doesn't mean he can't beat you he now. It just means well, but he never has. That's the way. I thought, that's I thought I maybe you held back on something. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't give him it all. Just kneecapped him. Yeah. Tanya Harding him. Nope, sorry. <laughs> So, um, have you always been that way? The journey, like concerned more about the journey than the, um, I guess, uh, let's put it this way. Um, it's hard to have wisdom and a, a you know, with an experience without age. It doesn't mean you can be wise just cause you're old, but you learn a lot. And I would, I, I would say that I would be like most younger people at the time, uh, my focus was to be an Olympic champion, and everything was built around that. Uh, that's not—I would say—that's not good or bad. Uh, in perspective, you learn later on uh, as you get through it. You can—you get the benefit of looking back, and that's where I say uh, you try to help people now with that. It's the process. You know, focus on the process. What a goal, though, yeah. like being an Olympic champion. Like I, I'm from Reedsburg, right? Small town, similar to similar to Evansville. But to be like a boy from a small town in Wisconsin, you're like, yeah, I'm going to win. I'm, I'm going to be an Olympic champion. I want to be an Olympic champion. Like where did that drive come from? Well, let's it. it I, I can't say it's always been there because in a small town, you know, I, I was the first person in Evansville to ever even qualify for the state wrestling championship. You know, and so you growing up, I wanted to be Bart Starr playing. So that age puts me in age, but that's, you know, I want to be a Green Bay Packer. Oh, now I'm just an owner is what I am. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to play, but the, the, uh, it just grew. I, I, I went out for wrestling. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, uh, my sophomore year, I was going to play basketball instead of wrestle. 
Uh, I actually didn't know. And honestly, what I did was I shot a free throw to decide which sport I was going to do, made the free throw. So went over to the basketball coach, asked if I could have the two days off for teachers convention because I always went, we went bow hunting with my dad. It was one of the, my great uh, memories growing up. And he goes, uh, no, I can't do that. And I said, okay. And went back out for wrestling. Now I see that coach all the time and I thank him. You know, <laughs> I, I say the basketball coach had more to do with my wrestling career than maybe anybody else did. <laughs> but it, it just grew from being part of other guys around the area that, that were really uh, very talented. And an example is in, in two weeks or, or this year, Andy Ryan from Stoughton, Wisconsin, is going into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame as Olympic silver medalist. And that's who I was around. And you start, it just, the goal just started to grow. And my coach, Russ Hellickson, was, was a two-time Olympian, Olympic silver medalist himself and world silver medalist. And I worked out with Ben and John Peterson, who are Olympic champions. And you just saw people that were doing it. And you go, then you just go, why not? Yeah, it's got to be what it is. Yeah. It's like it's it's normal. I mean, if you're around that many people that I don't know anybody that's been to the Olympics other than you. So it's yeah. like for me, that would be so such an odd thing to just be like, all right, yeah, I'm, this is where I'm going. Well, when I after I played for a couple of years of football, transferred back in the in the wrestling room, uh, I was there and I probably went an entire month without getting a takedown because the guys I was working out with, I worked out with uh, two Olympic champions, Olympic silver medalists a sixth place in the world and an NCAA champion. That was my workout partner. I went, I literally, I went, I, I, one of my good friends, you know, he told me year, years later, he said he was looking up there and saw what I was doing it. And he, he was telling guys, they gave that guy scholarship money. Going, <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> yeah. You probably lose it. Right. Especially uh, playing football. It was, uh, it, it, but you know what was great about it? I didn't have to beat those guys. They were postgraduate. I was in college. Yeah. And so I got to work out with people that were so much better than I was. That's how you get better. Well, I don't I don't remember yeah. who it was, but somebody was talking and they said, you need three levels of people when you're training. You need somebody that's better than you that pushes you. You need somebody that's similar to your level so that you can bounce stuff off of them. And then you need somebody that you are pushing because just that coaching and that training of someone that's lesser than you brings everything around and makes it more cerebral when you're actually trying to teach something. It makes you concentrate on the small details of every movement versus just doing it. Yeah. Whoever said that's brilliant because it's absolute. And that's what I, I you know, it's not that I was looking for it. I, was, I wasn't smart enough at the time. That's what I had. And guys, I had. I was in the toughest room in the world. There was no place, literally, in the yeah. world that would have been better to be in. That's awesome. And and then I had teammates. I mean, we had, uh, you know, we were in the hunt for the national title as a as a wrestling team. So you had everybody around you, and then you had the younger guys that were coming in. That um, not only you would. You could coach, and that's a great point because you, when you do that, you get better at what you're doing because it is cerebral. But you also needed somebody that you knew if you went hard at, you were going to get the move because you were better. That you need all of that, and that's what, and that's why I look at you know I talk to young kids who start out wrestling, and they they get their 
butts handed to them and because, you know, they're, they're a freshman working out with somebody who's a senior and that, and um, then they consider after that freshman year, sophomore year quitting. And I'm going, you've been the anvil for two years. You're about ready to be the hammer. Yeah. You know, don't stop now. Yeah. yeah. And, and just to try to help them to understand that's the growth process. And so, you know, who, like you said, whoever said that, that, that is absolutely spot on. Now, we talked about Tony Dungy a lot because you told me about the book. He told me about the book. I finished the book. Um, it's so much about the process and about the basics and doing the basics better than everybody else. Do you think that if you would have played basketball, that same process, that same drive, that same motivation would have been there? Or do you think that it was you didn't have the caliber of people around you well, if you were playing basketball? I wouldn't even go that far. If a six foot three inch white guy who cannot stuff a basketball's career is going to be short, I don't care. I don't care what you put into that into that career. I mean, that, that's why you know in a small town in the 70s, 6'3", six three, you're, you're a pretty tall guy. I mean, you can help a basketball team. Yeah, in your conference, okay. There's no place to go for. Had I been playing, I'd, I'd end up staying with football. Is what okay. I would have clearly would, would have done with that. That's funny. There's physics and talent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's growth, right? Like there's probably things that you could do five years, ten years into wrestling that you couldn't do when you started. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, but um maybe you could have jumped it, higher. Okay. The mat the difference would have been inches, okay? That's still not good enough. <laughs> um now you competed all the way up to was it eighty four? Yeah. That's when I was born. Just throw it out there. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, and then, how did that transition into coaching happen? I had never intentionally thought about coaching. I mean, I, I went to college, and then I was wrestling. And I knew I was done in 1980 for college. I was going to wrestle at least until 1984. And so you just stayed in the, in that atmosphere and became a graduate assistant, then the assistant coach. Uh, uh, and, and it just I, I stopped wrestling in '84. I was I was thinking of going for four more years, but um, I, I my daughter I had my daughter was born and my neck was bothering me somewhat. But the reality, I, you know, that's what I talk about. Those are the excuses. The real reason was I knew how hard I worked to get where I was. And I didn't, I just wasn't willing to work that hard four more years. Yeah. So I'm, that's not a positive or negative. That's just reality. So I, I and I wasn't just going to play around at it. So I stepped in and I was, I was coaching. I enjoyed it. And I went on, went over to, uh, I applied for the head coaching job here. Andy Ryan got it instead of, of myself. So I then ended up at Purdue, got the head coaching job from that, but then moved on uh, after uh, probably four or five years there to the opportunity that provided me at USA Wrestling, which was the national teams director. And that stepped me out of coaching. That really would be the equivalent of being an athletic director at the Olympic level is what that I was responsible for overseeing the training, the funding, the competition, you know, and all of that for the athletes and the and the teams. When you go into coaching, is it do you have like do you have a a backbone that somebody like gives you to help you, or is it just like, hey, here's your team, go for it? Like, how does that work? That's the problem. That's that's the issue in is. Uh, 
what I do with, with three-dimensional coaching, uh, here's my first statement when I see meet with principals and superintendents. I've got the research to back it up. Is I say that your coaches are the greatest asset that you have in education today and likely the least trained in the areas they can have the greatest impact. I've never brought the research out because nobody's disagreed. See, we put people into likely what is the most influential position they'll ever have. And what do we provide them to help them uh, beyond the skills, the drills, the techniques? Because like I spent, you know, when you spend four years in a division one wrestling room, you are intentionally are taught techniques, tactics, skills, strategies. Now I say, if you were like me on the five and a half year undergraduate plan, I got an extra year and a half in there. But nobody intentionally taught me how to build team cohesion, how to motivate, how to build confidence, let alone impact the significance and worth of an individual. And yet we put people in these positions and expect them to do this. And as you see, if you just follow now, you, you see coaches, you know, getting fired in college and, and I get it, basketball, football, it's, it's wins driven, but you step out of that area. Most of the times it's not directly related to wins and losses. You ask, I ask athletic directors, how many coaches have you fired simply because of the wins and loss record? They all just keep saying none. It's always something else. And so I was, I was lucky. I had a, I had, a pretty good mentor, you know, but I look back and I say, how much better could I have been if I would have learned those things, been taught those things? It's like, here's my example. If, you, if I walk into your office, you guys are the superintendent and principal, and I go, hey, I see you got a math teaching position open. Man, I'd like to apply for that. And the guy goes, okay, well, let me see your resume. Go, Where'd you get your education? Oh, I don't have a degree in math. I just love math. So I, I want to teach it. That's exactly what they do with coaches. Yeah. But we wouldn't, we'd never think of that math. And yet I'm going to tell you that I believe that the coaches get greater impact I, I on, on, the, on, on the person's math scores than the math teacher could have. Right. And that's not knocking math teachers or any teachers, but Dang it, as a coach, I get a kid for four years in a lab. You know, if, if I can get to the, the heart of that athlete and help them to understand the value of that education, they're going to put more effort in. I, I can yeah. reach that. that. That's why I'm going, guys, if all we have to do is, is provide them the professional development, and when they do, coaches, they just be, they're, they're better. I guess I put it this way. You do the best you can with what you know, but when you know more, you'll do better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so much has to do with how these kids come out of school with, do they know what it's like to overcome adversity? Do they know what it's like to believe, yeah. believe in themselves? Are they putting effort into things that they really don't like? Right. Because like, that's a lot, that's a big issue. Oh, I don't like math. I don't like reading. I don't like this. I don't like that. But yeah, but you probably don't like conditioning either. Yeah. You know, but how how do you guys go in and teach coaches how to teach that or how to 
inspire that? Well, the first thing is, like, is you you uh, you have to define what a coach is, you know, and and we operate off of the oldest definition we could find from the 1500s. That's the definition, and the the the, the original definition of a coach is it is a covered carriage that takes a person of importance from where they are to where they want or need to go. That's the definition. So there's four parts. The first part, you're a covered carriage. And what's the purpose of cover? Protection. Protection and safety. Structure. Because if you don't have it, you're just a wagon. And people jump off. They fall off. You know, you lose people. Priority number one, the first thing, you're a covered carriage. Takes a person of importance. Are it? Are they important to because they can help you accomplish your goal that you want for the team? Or they are important just simply because they're a person that you have. There's no qualifier. It's a person of importance from where they are. In order to know where they are, you have to get to know them. It takes a relationship because it's easy to say, I treat everybody the same. You don't have to know anything about anybody to treat everybody the same. I say, I treat everybody fairly. And then it's from from where they are to where they want or need to go. That's your purpose. Okay. So if you aren't doing all four of those, then by definition, you're not a coach. You could be a teacher, you could be an instructor, a technician, but you're not a coach. Because teaching is a subset of coaching. In fact, I asked this week, I'll be meeting with a bunch of coaches. And here's one of the things I ask. I said, I get, hey, you got a piece of paper, write down what you coach. Right. And then later on, I talk about, I give them up five minutes. I say, you know, if, a few years ago, if you'd asked me that, I'd wrote down wrestling. I coach young people. I teach wrestling. Because okay. if I coach wrestling, that's all I'm thinking about is all of this stuff. If I coach young people, I'm thinking about how am I going to get them to learn instead of what I'm teaching them. And now I have the impact that I'm capable of having. And the other part is, is if I coach young people, so do you. So if you're coaching softball and I'm coaching wrestling, I got no ability to help you teach a drop ball. You can't help me teach a double leg takedown. But if you're really good at building team cohesion, you're coaching young people just like I am. You can help me. And so it's, it's one, it's a mindset change. And then two is when you start to help them see that uh, through one question, we can help them refocus too. As I ask, uh, in your, you got a group of six people sitting together. I say, you got two minutes. Everybody's got to tell everybody else who their favorite coach was and why. I said, now I've talked for 20 seconds. So now you only got about a minute and a half to do it. And you just hear the conversations. And then I'll walk around and pick a few people out. Because I can tell you what the answers are. It's because I trusted them. It's because they believed in me. It's because they got more out of me than I thought I could get. All of these things. I've yet to hear somebody say it's because they taught me how to dribble a basketball left-handed better than anybody else. That's your job. But that's not. And so if that's the person that was your favorite coach, did you try Harder for that person than anybody else. And everybody says, yes. So I said, the, why is that not our, fo our focus? 
if we can get to the heart of the athlete, we'll get a higher performing athlete. Yeah. So it's the reality is it's the things they know. It's about building culture. Okay. Now you have to decide what's your culture. And as we all know, I don't care if your business, sports, is how important culture is. Well, what the fudge is that? I mean, that's a 50,000-foot statement that everybody believes. What we do is I want to bring this down to ground level. First of all, identify what you want. I want to have a culture of excellence. I want to have a culture of kindness. With the, All right. We identify what we want. And then we take them through a little exercise. We call it the Y chart. What does it look like, sound like, and feel like? Just bring, what does that look like, sound like, and feel like? Well, it, it uh, sounds like teammates cheering everybody on. Right? It, uh, it feels like family. It looks, you know, all right, now, how do we get that to happen? If it feels like family, that's like, so now it's team cohesion. How do we build team cohesion? Well, here, I'll show you. And then we give them the tools. I mean, I've got one that's simple. Not, actually, they're all simple. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it is that then it comes to my my purpose. My purpose, what I do is to help ADs and, and schools and coaches build a culture in sport that students want to be a part of that will impact lives. Now, I had a little thing. That's not easy or difficult. It's intentional. So just what are you doing? What if at the end of, I say, at the end of wrestling practice, in fact, our graduate assistant said, can we do this? I remember I go, yeah, we can. And when we got done, I went home ticked off. I was ticked off because I wasted 15 years not doing it. And all we did was, he said, I want everybody to shake hands with everybody else. And I saw the, I felt the impact. That includes coaches. I felt it immediately because we know appropriate physical contact matters. And instead of just bringing everybody together, like most sports do, you say something, get your hands up, win on three, one, two, three, win, and everybody takes off. You still do that, but you have to shake everybody's hand. Now, when the kid who's getting his butt handed to him is shaking hands with the star athlete, Every day that matters. That makes a difference. Now, that builds team cohesion. You want to build significance and worth? I can take that same tool as a coach. When I see that, when I see Jimmy having a tough day, when I Mark is the best athlete I got, I see just before practice ends, I say, Mark, you see Jimmy had a tough go today. You seem to tell me you're proud of him. And when you go around and Mark goes, hey, Jimmy, I heard it was a pretty tough day today. Man, I don't know if I could have done what you did. You hang in there, bud, because we need you. I'm proud of you. You think Jimmy's going to quit? No. Not a chance. He's dignified for who he is, not what he does. Yeah. Now, but who gets the most out of that? Both. Mark. Yeah. Both, but Mark does. Because he sees, he starts to get, understand his impact, his significance, and his worth. Yeah. That wasn't. Easy or difficult, that was just intentional. Th- that's just, that's one tool that you can bring in. We've got, uh, oh shoot, I, 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 we just put a library of stuff together that we did videos, short things, and we got 20, 
uh, probably 30 to 40 tools. And the great part is, is um, I didn't think of them. I just stole them. <laughs> you know, I leave, I leave it for the coach. You know, yeah. I get them from coaches. <clears throat> so this is a program. Yes. Oh, it's okay. go. We are three-dimensional coaching is what we, we've got an online course. Yeah. Uh, because if you're going to get to the masses, you can't deliver it through workshops yeah. because that's bottleneck. Plus, workshops are terrible educators. They're great motivators. And you know that in any business where you go to a workshop, you leave all fired up. Yeah. <laughs> but I go, you know, I'll do a workshop here. If you don't believe me, how many of you guys went to church on Sunday? I said, now give me a five-minute review of what, the, what he said. It's not that you weren't paying attention. You don't have the capacity to remember just the big stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, the big stuff is culture is important. It's the little stuff that makes culture. And it's it's not wow moments. We teach you. It's the day-to-day little things that, that make this happen. That's why we can all do this. Yeah. That's why, I mean, we're I, – I go and you want to change – I don't do this for sport because I know we can change a school. Yeah. Because – Who's got the greatest ability to impact culture in a, in a school? Athletes. Yeah. Good Athlete, or bad. Athletes. And then I think the coaches really, they have that that kind of brick wall that that kids have with administrators and with teachers and stuff. That's broken down. They don't, they don't have that with their coaches. They have a totally different relationship. Yeah. It's trust and it's respect. Yeah. And it's so much more than what you have with teachers. Yeah. Because so, uh, they're required to go to take that class. They choose to be part of your sport. So they already yeah. value it. So they're going to value you. Now, when we talk about three-dimensional coaching, it's this. We're all three-dimensional beings. We're physical, psychological, and spiritual. In sports, we call it the skill set, mindset, and heart set. You've got to be good at all three of these. Right? And the, you know, the, the skill set, techniques, tactics, uh, speed, strength, quickness, all of these things. Um, if, if you're not good there, that's your job to teach the sport. And you have to be good there, but that's not where we struggle. We can Google anything we need for that, right? And you can win. We say you can win if you only coach at that level. If that's all you care about is winning, you can win, but you will have a trail of damaged relationships because that level is transactional. That's Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad, yeah. but recognize what it is. It's transactional, right? You do all of these the, – if you get – Bigger, faster, stronger. You know, I'll help you do that. You're going to help me win. But it's the second dimension, the, the things that, that is the social emotional. That's um, motivation, confidence, team cohesion, goal say things like that. Um, and then it's the third dimension, which we say spiritual. Uh, but it's the values, significance, worth. You know, it's, you know, it's, what, it's where we value things. And I'm not talking Christianity, right? Now, that's, the, that's really the backbone of all of us that, that built this stuff. But it's, uh, um, it's the point where, like, you know, mentally, if you go in to take a test, you know that we all know it, it's wrong to cheat. But it's the heart that will determine if I'm going to do it or not. We know that. So that's the spiritual. Besides, I go, uh, what's the greatest motivator 
Who would you die for? People you love. Mm -hmm. Do you don't think atheists love their children? Of course they do. So they already understand. It's just that from why I come from, I've got a bigger purpose with that. But I don't change how I help coaches no matter what they're bad. I don't care. I don't ask. But what, we know that if we can get to a heart of an athlete, we're going to not only have a higher performing athlete, we're going to start impacting lives. Well, could you take this three-dimensional coaching to the uh, business level? Great question. We uh, just got um, – every time we do this, I got the superintendent say, do you have this for teachers? I've got – uh, uh, I've got a former uh, NFL quarterback that's take took this taking this course to the company that he works at, but we have just uh, in our the hometown of our CEO, uh, Wes Simmons, is St. Joseph, Missouri. St. Joseph at one time had more millionaires per capita than any other place in the country. It's where the Pony Express went through. It's it's right there on the on the on the river there and. Kansas City is the one that grew out. St. Joseph is now a struggling community with crime and that. Uh, and about eight months ago, Wes got with the community leaders. And now we've got a three-year contract with St. Joseph, Missouri to build out 3D sport, 3D education, 3D business. Oh, wow. And so we've got the leaders and all that. I'm going to be involved in all of it, but I'm going to stay in sport. That's yeah. where my heart's at. Because I've also talked with all of them there and I've said, I want, I, I believe this, that if this is going to change a community, the people that will have the greatest influence on this changing will be the athletic directors because they lead the people who have the greatest influence on young people coaches and athletes are the ones that can impact an entire school but if we don't do this intentionally you know, the interesting part is we always talk about the great benefits of sport and what it teaches and that and yet here's the research and the research is definitive is that sport left to itself erodes moral character because it's about winning and losing. Didn't take you, you know, lots of people go show you, you didn't even move because you understand it's that is that uh, there's that sport will give you the, what do we talk about when we say, what do we get from sport? What does it teach us? The value of what? Winning. Yep. But even, and it will go step back to the process. That's sort of the teach value of what hard work, yep. commitment dedication. You can have a hardworking, committed, dedicated terrorist mm -hmm. and it would fit. Yeah. Got to have that value uh, foundation. Yep. But the, what, here's the other research that shows that, that sport is also a great vehicle to build moral character, but it has to be led by somebody and that's the coach. You know, the coach is the guide. You know, if we, we in movie terms, you know, like uh, you don't have Daniel without Mr. Miyagi, right? You don't have Luke Skywalker without Yoda. Those guys in the movie, they're the guides. You don't have the heroes 
without the guys. Our athletes can be heroes. So that, it's a very simple process. I tell ADs and, and principals and superintendents, you want more heroes? Invest in your guides. Invest in your coaches. Right? And because if you have three schools, high schools in a community, and there are 50 coaches per school, that's that's probably even a little low, but let's just go 50. The AD's got 150 people that they oversee that have the greatest influence. That's where success happens. The, the AD should be the most influential person in education. I mean, really, that's exactly what we're trying to do with this podcast, but for the everyday person, yeah. for the for the average individual, you know, the average 20 to you know 40 year old individual that maybe got away from that or lost it or has, you know, never had it. Is that's what that's what the goal of this is. I mean, as, as you go through this and, and you you break it down and you talk about it, you talk about the value structures like that is exactly what we do here. But it's not under a sport overtone. Yeah. But remember, the the original definition of a coach didn't talk about. Yeah, it's a covered carriage that takes a person of importance from where they are to where they yeah. want to and need to go. Is that a parent? Is yeah. that a business? Why do you think in the if you if I were to Google coach right now, or coaching uh, uh, professional coaching development, and that business stuff would come up more than sport? Yeah, yeah. They've taken the they 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 understand the terminology. You know, there's a difference between being a coach or being a boss. So that's that's that was my next question, right? Like we have there is a plethora of people who are. Just like good athletes that then they put into coaching, there's a plethora of people that are good at their initial jobs that then get put into leadership roles that have absolutely zero leadership abilities and they just become bosses, right? How do you take someone that is just a boss and turn them into a servant leader? Here's the thing. They had... I could step back. They had zero leadership ability. No, they had zero leadership training. Yes. (laughs) They weren't... That's what we're going to say. I look at these... uh, the the coaches, hey, if you're willing, if you've got a growth mindset, and I'm sure you've touched base on growth oh, yeah, mindset, yeah. right? Then you're willing to learn, right? You're you're willing to take criticism. Is it because a growth mindset puts things in this perspective? It's only information. It's not personal. It's information. Okay, I'm thankful when I get criticized, right? In fact, once in a while, we get somebody who uh, you don't get anybody or everybody that likes the course. In fact, we've we've had maybe I don't know how many thousands of reviews on on the coaching certification course. We got a four point seven on a five point. We know we're hitting something, but not everybody values things beyond just the winning. And when somebody does say send something that's uh, critical. I, I and I get very seldom, but I'll always I'll respond to that person. With the first thing is thank you for sending that. Um, and if you gave it a, a one or a zero for this course, then my response is we failed you. Not you, we failed you because all we want to do is help you do what you do better. I'm not telling you how to coach. Want to help you do what you do better. Obviously, we failed. What could I have done better? That's the person that helps us get better. And when you acknowledge that, some of our our biggest fans from that are going, man, they listened. We, 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 and, and so you've got to be willing 
to take criticism, but you also have to have people that give criticism, uh, tell the truth with grace. Yeah. You know, what kills me is people say, you know what, I, I I tell the truth. You can beat somebody over the head with truth and be vicious with it. You do it with grace if you want to help somebody get better. That's what, uh, that's the things that we try to help. Is it you help an athlete? You know, is you you address, you, we do too much of addressing the person and not the performance. Then it's personal. Yeah. You know, you can, you can say, uh, and that was a pretty crappy performance or you're a piece of crap. There's a big difference. Big difference. Big difference. And then, but you've got to build the relationship first. Is uh it's tough um to be in that leadership role. But it's not as tough when you build uh well I, I go this here's your here's the business world. I have an open door policy. If you got a problem, I got an open door policy. Well, geez, you're sitting, it's in your office, you're behind your desk. That that's not very inviting. No wonder nobody comes in. You want somebody to come through your door, you go through theirs first. Go into their office, sit down and say, hey, how are things going? Not to go in there for a purpose other than to, to build the relationship. Then they'll start to come in. I, you know, I got, hey, if a coach says, I don't talk to parents about playing time, but if your son or daughter's got a concern about they can come and see me, well, gee, they're 15 or 16 years old. We're not even on a level playing field age-wise. Yeah. You're the coach. And that how many kids are going to do that? You know, what that is is just a barrier. Yeah. Right. So what it the the point is is treat people like you'd want to be treated if you don't know what to do. The same thing that I, I talk to kids or coaches about, you know, we set these rules. You know, we've got rules, and you gotta have rules, mm-hmm. right? But you can't make a rule for everything. And the other part is if you set some that are unreasonable, what you're going to do is create a team full of rule breakers. Yep. So what do is have basis. But uh, Joe Ehrman in Inside Out Coaching said this, and I've, and I've taken this from him too, is, and this, is that um, they don't have really – they have very few rules. What they have are standards. And he goes, here's our two standards. Is it honorable? Is it responsible? Now, I don't need to have a rule for everything. Is that if they're about ready to do something they're not sure about, here's your filters. Is it honorable? Is it responsible? Now, if they do it and it causes some kind of issue, when I meet with that athlete, we're going to talk about how was that honorable? How was that responsible? Now we have something to have a discussion around standards instead of, um, oh, that's just a stupid rule. Why'd you make, you know, is, oh, you, you know, uh, we can't play this kind of music. I ran into this this week. Uh, I've always had this standard for music. No profanity and nothing that degrades any group in society. I don't care what it is. Now, I prefer uh, the, you know, the Motown in the 60s and some country. But I'll if you got rap on and it fits that, if you've got, you know, pop, any of that. That's your choice, but those are two, the two things. Now, I had a coach who was letting these kids play, and then, he, and then they go, ah, you know, 
we can't, I guess we can't do that. Uh, the rule says we can't. Well, they've undermined everything. One, they're just saying, I would let you, but the rule. So you've done nothing to help the kids. Instead of setting, setting the standards, this is our standards. Right? So if you don't have the clean version of this, you can't play. You have, it's, and if you do, then you lose your privilege to do it. It's, it's that, that simple. I had that in college. And once in a while, the, what I enjoyed was kids would be working out and they'd put their own music on. And I happened to be in there doing a workout. And then there was something, some profanity in that. The guy, I'd say multiply, they'd go over and they'd change their song. That's good enough for me because they respected the place well enough that they, they, they may not have changed because what they play in their home is their choice. But this is our home. And that's what we explained to them. It's our home. And that's also such, especially for the coaches that are just starting to implement something like that, that's such a teaching moment. That's yeah. a learning moment. Yeah. That's a bonding moment. That's a, you know, education moment about, well, why? Why is this, you know, why is it not okay to degrade anybody, you know, any group in society? Well, right there, that opens up a full conversation to have an explanation and have a conversation with your kids that's more than, well, be, because it's stupid. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. And, and it wasn't, it's not just because when I was working with the Olympics and I was in Beijing, 24 hour fitness ran the training center for the athletes. So they'd bring people, they'd bring their uh, individuals over that they wanted to reward that got to oversee it and watch it from 20 hour fit for our fitness. And they have the music on. And I was in there working out by myself and that, and they had this, you know, it was profane laced stuff going on. And I went over there, why you got that on? And you know, I, I'm, I can live with this. I'm, I'm, I'm it's going to change me. I'm, I'm in my fifties. Um, but I had to explain to him, I said, what would happen when the CEO of the Olympic committee was bringing you know, bringing over the CEO of a major corporation that they get $50 million and they want to show them this training center and that's playing. What position did you just put him in now? They have to, it's, it's more than just you. You know, we've got a wrestling room and this stuff's playing and the, somebody walks by this room and that's what they're hearing. That might be the only opinion they'll ever have of our team. Yeah. That's why we don't do this. Yeah. So I read Josh Waitzkin's Art of Learning, and he went from being like the Bobby Fisher of, of kids chess, right? Took, over, took on adults, <laughs> went to all these competitions. It was very... Um, strategic the way they would set up these competitions and sometimes you know the russian guy would be five hours late just to mess with people and then he went from that and he went into push hands so he he mastered chess basically and then he went into push hands and in push hands when he would go to these other countries they were like i think it was thailand which was the big com com competitive country for push hands and because he was american they would they would almost set up these tournaments to like give their own athletes an upper hand. Like they would give them the wrong schedule. They would set schedule it so that they were really, you know, they would tell yeah. them they were going to compete at 10 AM, but then they wouldn't compete until four and they didn't bring any food and like all this stuff. Have you encountered that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm laughing right now. Internationally. Sure. You know, uh, I, I've, uh, I, I'm my, my coach got a silver medal in the Olympics because they told him that he was done for the session. 
And then he came, you know, and then he's leaving. You go and they they added the match. That right right then he lost eleven ten to the guy. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen worse than that. I've uh, where uh, there's three or four countries that will pay the Cubans money to throw them throw the gold medal match. After a Cuban wins one gold in the World Championships. What's the second one? And, that, and so the Russians will do that. I've seen the Turks, Azerbaijanis, um, and maybe Georgia, but the, you know, literally the Russians for sure is, um, I guess is it's forty to $50,000 is what they'll pay the Cuban to throw the match. And in Cuba, that's an obscene amount yeah, of money. I'm not blaming the Cuban. You're right. That's why I say I'm not mad at the Cuban. Holy smokes. What can that do to their for their family? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to stop that from happening. You 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 don't throw out the people getting paid. You throw out the payers. Yeah. You know, except that it's you know pretty hard to 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 do that with with, with the Russians um, because I, I I'm in my, in my sport. I know two or three of them have been murdered. They, they've been in the they're in the mafia. The the president of their federation has been shot twice. You think I'm going to go up to that guy and tell him you guys are out? I don't want that job. <laughs> was it one 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 Olympics? I don't remember if it was summer or winter Olympics, but they like didn't let any Russians compete because their blood was so well. The, here's it: they kicked they've kicked the Russian. Uh, you can't represent Russia. Russia is a country though, but their athletes are still in it because they don't have the balls to kick. Russia shouldn't be in there. Their athletes should not be in. And and I know that's that hurts their athletes. But when it's state sponsored, yeah. it's not individual. It yep. is state sponsored. The whole the, the country's got to pay for it. And they just don't have the courage. The International Olympic Committee, you know, I, I hold the Olympics in such high regard, and but not the Olympic Committee. You ever watch uh, Icarus? Oh. The documentary Icarus? Yeah. That one is uh, – obscene how state-sponsored it was. Yeah. And, that, and that was so And they so still long. didn't get the country kicked out. No. And that was so long ago. Now we're to the point where the technology has come tenfold from where that was to the point that we're talking about gene doping and stuff now. You know? Yeah, the cheaters will always be one step ahead of the people. 100%. Catching. But when they now keep the blood, you know, we recently had people from 2012 who have medals had them taken away. We didn't have the ability to catch it then, you know, but they, they, that's why they give two vials. They test one. If it's clean, they'll still got the other. And then, you know, eight, 10 years down the road now they can test. Uh, but the other part is there's a lot of athletes that admit later on. Yeah. And, and this is why we talk, this is why the, co where we come in as coaches is I see what's the, what is the great benefit of goals? It's it narrows your focus. Okay. But what's the real negative thing of goals? It narrows your, it narrows focus. your focus. You don't think of the bigger things. I got it. When I was training, you know, is in fact, Sports Illustrated did this. It was uh, late 90s. They had this article on the cover of the Sports Illustrated. I still remember it was a, a flexed arm with a needle in it. And they asked 197. Uh, Olympic level or aspiring Olympic level athletes, this question, if you could take a drug, if I could give you a drug that would guarantee you'd win every competition for the next five years and you would not get caught, would you do it? 194 of the 197 said yes. Now, here's the next one. Guaranteed you wouldn't get caught. You'd win everything 
for the next five years, but the side effects would kill you. Half of them said they'd still I was just going to say most of them probably Half still said, said, yeah. That's because, and I get it, because you're so focused on being the best in the world that consequences be damned. Yeah. It's our job to help them look at the bigger picture because can you imagine, this is why people actually have admitted later, can you imagine winning the gold medal the Olympics because you cheated and then the rest of your life, you're a gold medalist. Oh, congratulations. Every time it comes up, what do you think? I cheated to do it. Yeah. And you're getting congratulated for cheating. That wears on your emotional well-being. But wait, what if everybody just got to do whatever they want? Then it wouldn't be cheating because it would be an equal playing field. Well, I've, I've, listen, I've had discussions with Bruce Wilhelm back in the late 70s, early 80s. He won the strongman contest, and he was a wrestler, Olympic lifter. And his position was this, this should be uh, – steroids should be legal and monitored. Now we got a level playing field. I get where he's coming from. I, I understand what that is, but uh, – the we have to, the danger of that, you know, we is is too much. It's just such an odd argument. Like if your natural hormone levels are fifty percent higher than my natural hormone mm -hmm. levels, God has given you a steroid. You are you are at a higher starting point than where I am, with the same amount of effort and the same amount of 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 drive and the same amount of work. You will always be a little bit better than me. But there is there is a separation because now they've you know they have a untested you know powerlifting competition versus yeah. a yeah natural yeah and same with bodybuilding yep. so because they make that delineation therefore and look at the difference between the two yeah. oh yeah night and day yeah yeah you know people that say that they they you know that swear they don't take steroids and they look you can't look that way naturally in many of those cases you're you you can say it you're not fooling anybody yeah but uh you know your your point is you know at, at, at where is the line i think the line in our country the line that we've we've determined uh and and we don't that's getting gray is it's is the xy's are in one and the X-axis are another. And that's, that really is the difference because now when we're both males, you're right. I could have a higher level. By the way, your parents may have been great athletes and mine weren't. And so genetically, you got more fast twitch fibers yep. than I do. There's all of these things, yeah. you know, that we, that we could bring into consideration. The reality is most of it is, uh, None of these people are going to get there in pure talent. Yeah, it's it's flat out. Yep. it's it's the ten the the uh, Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours. Yeah, thing is is that uh, uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand, but there's a uh, a guy Dave Schultz in 1996 Olympic champion was murdered by John Dupont. Yep, and at such John, a weird story. Yeah, and at um at the funeral. And, the, and I have the flyer still. And the back of it is a guy. Dave was fascinated with uh, uh, Asian arts and, and, and this Musashi, who was a swordsman from the mm -hmm. 1500s, considered the greatest swordsman of all time. And it, and it, it goes, uh, but Musashi, knowing he was normal, trained, you know, trained and committed and, 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 and put so much effort into it 
that he became the became the greatest swordsman. And when he did, um, when he became so good, people were talking about his God given talent. And then it ended. That's how men who don't try very hard comfort themselves. You know, you all you see is the end result. Yep. You don't see what it took to get there. The twenty year overnight success. Yeah. And and that's why we are you, my sport's so good because the people that I that were Olympic champions. Russ was pinned the first eight times he wrestled. Ben Peterson lost most every. There's very very few people that just start at the top. At their age, most of them, as you see, you know, uh, Bruce Bumgarner won 13 world Olympic medals, was never a state champion. Okay, and so he just kept he only won one NCAA title his senior year. And he's one of the greatest of all time. You know, uh, Jordan Burroughs now is is one of our guys who lost and didn't win a state title. He's won six or eight world medals. It's not where you start; it's where you finish. It was, I use—I don't remember which which podcast it was, but I talked about the Kobe Bryant story. Yeah, right. Oh. It was a—it uh, was a guy that wanted to interview Kobe, and he said, "You know, hey, Kobe said, yeah, show up. I'm going to work out at 4 a.m." You know, and the guy showed up at 3:30, thinking he was going to beat Kobe, and Kobe was already in a hot sweat, and he watched, and he did an hour of basics, and he got done, and he and the guy, you know, started the interview. He's like, "Man, you just did." you did a, like a high school basketball workout and he goes, why do you think I'm the best? Because I do an hour of basics every day and then get into everything else. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to a story. It's like, remember when Peyton Manning was drafted? Remember who was number one? It was Ryan Leaf. Yeah. Ryan Leaf was this uh, physical specimen and he had talent, raw talent. But the thing is, uh, you know, even he put the work in, he put the, the thousand hours in, but what he lacked which I think relates to, you know, the 3D coaching, even 3D businesses, is that that value foundation. You know, his values were just off and it just destroyed his career. Yeah. But what's great for about Ryan Leaf right now is uh, he may not have had success that he could have, but he's having significance now. Yeah. He's talking – He's his story is one that he's telling you, which is what – uh, we talk about too with this is uh, it, you've got to build the relationships and, and parents need to know that there's two things that you've got to tell parents. You need to tell them your purpose to coach and you tell them your story. Yeah. That's yours alone. They get, you want to, you need to build that relationship. Parents, um, that's the other problem we, we have too with all sports. Um, Parents need help too. I mean, if, if I'll let, you know anybody listening, and that is, I always I do this workshop with coaches. I say, raise your hand if you're a parent. I said, now keep your hand up if you, when you left the hospital, they gave you the manual on how to raise your kids. Parents need help too. Yeah. They're not there sitting thinking about how to undermine what you. But so you got to build the relationship, and and you have to help them see the value of of the journey for their kid i mean the if i was coaching today my wrestling room would have this sign and if i was teaching i'd have the same sign in there is 
it would be this. It's a, it would say failure is not an option. It's mandatory. We're going to fail forward. I need to know what you're not good at because then we can work on it. If I'm in the math, if I've got you as a, in my math class, I want to see what you're failing at because then we'll work at that part. And then when you get it, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to find the next thing we're failing at. So that's how you, that you fail forward. Yeah. You know, it's, is, and so I don't want kids afraid of failing. I'm going, when they try something, I'm going to congratulate them for trying it. Okay. Then you can say, okay, so what didn't work? What happened? What didn't work? Yeah. Okay. So let's focus on that. It's, it's, I love doing camps when I show a technique and something and a kid goes, I can't do that. I, I, I stop right there. Don't say you can't. You just haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, going and, back to what you're saying too is, uh, I mean, the Ryan Leaf story, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's pretty good. It's just uh, somebody that, like you said, hadn't made a success in football, but he learned from, I mean, it was, it was a huge fall. Oh. Um, but now he's come back and he's used that to kind of warn and help, uh, you know, train other people that, to, you know, avoid those same issues. Because it's his story. Yeah. He's telling his story. He's not hiding from the, the, the story of who he is. He's not, he's disappointed, obviously, that he's not embarrassed by it because he's telling it. Yeah. And, and that's the great benefit is we all have the story. I might, I might be up front telling a parent, hey, mom and dad, here's what I want. This is my mistake because when I was a kid, I didn't put everything into a, this, the sport here. And I didn't accomplish what I thought I could. And I never get that back. I don't want your son or daughter to have that experience. Mine's the op. I can say, you know, I put everything I had and I still didn't get, I didn't make that Olympic team. But I do it all over again. I have no regrets. I want that experience for your son or daughter. That's my story. Okay. Everybody's got something. And, uh, and when you do that, you, the parents will see you more than just for the coach, you know, that's not giving my kid enough playing time because we can't solve it with playing time. There just ain't enough of it. But if that, if their son or daughter is coming home and they're still excited to be on the team because, you know, you know, Jimmy got to shake hands with Mark and now, you know, Jimmy wants to be back here. It ain't about the win, wins and losses. I'm still going to help him try to win. That is my, I'm not, it's not like, hey, kumbaya and let's all have fun and we'll get our butts kicked. Yeah. No, winning, there's value in it. But understand, as we talked about, the difference between success and significance. You know, understand the value, but understand the limitation. I think that is a perfect spot to wrap up. Thank you for giving us your time. And I think we could probably do like three more of these. It just keeps going and going. And we didn't even get any, into anything of your personal actual competition or anything. But. Who cares about that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that and what, five bucks now will get you a cup of coffee? There we go. <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>